Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. At the end of the year, you get this statement that base, from the IRS that basically says uh, how much you paid, well, from your student loan provider so that you can claim to the IRS, that basically says how much interest you paid for that year. And when I got that statement, it said that I had, of the $24,000, $20,000 went to the interest, and only $4,000 went to the principal. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres Rodriguez, personal finance expert, speaker, writer, and business coach. I teach women of color how to build wealth and gain financial independence through side hustles and investing. On this show, we're serving up POC-friendly personal finance knowledge, always with a side of sass. We're talking about how to make dinero, how to keep it, and how to make it grow. If you're ready to become poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice, and today we are kicking off season three of the podcast. I cannot believe it. Feels like we just wrapped up season two yesterday, and maybe that's just because I never stopped working, so it definitely didn't feel like a break, but I'm so excited to be back with you guys. This season is jam-packed, y'all, with so many amazing guests, and I'm actually going to be doing a monthly solo episode as part of season three. So I'm super excited to give some behind the scenes info and just give you guys regular updates on what I'm up to, along with bringing you what you have come to expect from this podcast, which is amazing guests, awesome content, and a couple of curse words sprinkled in for some flavor. 
So if you've been rocking with me since day one, or you just made your way to the podcast, I'm so happy to have you here. So excited for you to join the familia. And I am super, super excited about today's episode. We're going to be talking to Cindy Zuniga Sanchez, better known as my sorority sister and founder of Zero Based Budget Coaching. Cindy is a commercial litigation attorney and the founder of Zero Based Budget Coaching, LLC. After graduating from law school in 2015 with $215,000 of debt, Cindy took control of her money by immersing herself in the world of personal finance. In 2018, she launched Zero Based Budget to document her debt payoff journey and simplify personal finance concepts. After recognizing people's unique needs and goals through her platform, Cindy founded her business where she offers personal finance coaching services and speaks to audiences large and small about budgeting, saving, and investing. She was born, raised in, and currently resides in the Bronx. And along with helping her coaching clients reach their financial goals, she also practices law full-time. Cindy is a woman that literally embodies the first-gen woman of color by any means necessary mentality that I love about our community. We have so many strong, powerful, amazing, relentless, unstoppable women that are part of this community, and I'm looking forward to bringing you so many of their stories during this season of the podcast. Now, before we hop into today's episode with Cindy, I want to let you guys know about my digital course that is launching on January 4th, the Ultimate Side Hustle Starter Kit. It's my first digital course. It is my baby. And I've put together a super comprehensive digital course where I'm teaching you how I have earned over $180,000 over six years with side hustles. You're going to learn the ins and outs of all the ways that I earn money on the internet, and you can skip all of the drama that I had to go through to build my businesses. So if you have put side hustling as one of your goals on your vision board for 2021, and you want to work with someone who is going to mentor you, educate you, show you the ropes, give you the ins and outs, and save you from having to figure out how to build a business DIY, then sign up for my course, The Ultimate Side Hustle Starter Kit, by heading over to sidehustlemoguls.com. Class starts January 4th, and this program includes eight weeks of live coaching with me, so you don't have to worry about trying to get through the material and figuring out things on your own. We're going to get through this together, and you're going to end 2021 with a side hustle that's making you money. Visit SideHustleMoguls.com to get your spot. Seats are limited, and enrollment ends January 4th, 2021. I can't wait to help you build your dream side hustle. Cindy, I am so excited, or should I say, sis, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. And if you guys are confused why I'm calling her sis, <laughs> Cindy's actually my sorority sister, y'all. Um, yes. So this is like many years in the making of us knowing each other yeah. and watching each other grow. And I'm so excited that we can connect on the podcast. Yeah, me too. I'm super excited. I'm actually just like stoked. (laughs) Oh man, I'm so, so happy that you're here. And I would love for you to start off by introducing yourself to the audience. Yeah, sure. So hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Zuniga Sanchez, and I am a full-time commercial litigation attorney in New York City, born and raised Bronx girl over here. 
Um, but I am also the uh, founder of Zero Based Budget Coaching LLC, which is a personal finance coaching business uh, where I do speaking engagements, coach clients on all things money. And, uh, you know, I guess like just really quickly, my story really starts, uh, and no surprise here after graduating law school, uh, where I graduated with over $200,000 of debt. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That gives me like so much anxiety. Like I can't even wrap my head around that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where, I mean, my money story starts much further than that, which, you know, we can definitely touch on later, but I think that that's really kind of like the the pivotal moment is graduating law school back in 2015 uh, with all of this debt and not knowing what the heck to do with it. And so, you know, the the short of it is that I turned to where I think most of us turn to, which is the internet. And I found uh, so many resources, I think, that were just absolutely critical in my journey. And I wanted to share those resources as well. So you know, I, I created zero based budget as a sort of a blog, if you will, um, but purely on Instagram uh, initially, because I wanted to document my story on how the heck I was going to pay off, you know, over $200,000 of debt, but also provide, you know, a, a sort of an educational platform specifically for women, um, more specifically for women of color, women just like me that might have experiences like I do, uh, interests like I do, and uh, just make money approachable. <laughs> yes, I love all of that. And you have really, your story has connected with so many people. You've been featured in Good Morning America and countless other media outlets. And I think it's just one because it's a staggering number to even think about paying off. But you do it and you talk about it in full acknowledgement of the privileges that you've had as a result of your law career. This is not the norm, y'all. So like, don't get caught up in the sensationalism that it can be when you hear these stories because, I mean, this shit is real. Like, debt is real. Everybody's struggling with different amounts. And every number that people throw out based on your situation is daunting. So it's not about the number. It's about the fact that we are struggling and looking for resources like yours to really educate us and show us that there's a different way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's take it back before law school, before this massive debt, and before you paid it off and really started changing your relationship with money. Can you talk me through what your upbringing was like, especially when it comes to money? Sure. So, uh, you know, I'm the daughter of immigrants. My mom is from Ecuador and my dad is from Honduras. And, you know, they came here in the 70s with nothing, right? Like, it's, I have a very typical daughter of immigrants story where my parents just, you know, they came to this country in the search of a better life. And they met here uh, in, in the Bronx, actually. And, you know, growing up, I, I was indeed very low income. You know, I didn't know it then. Uh, but my family was very much uh, around the federal poverty line, uh, you know, what's, what's considered as, you know, legally poor here in this country. And, uh, you know, it was myself and my two older sisters in our one bedroom apartment. And, you know, I grew up with a lot of, with not having a lot of the luxuries that what I would consider normal families have, right? So like a microwave, <laughs> cable, um, a computer. You know, I didn't get my first, I don't know that I've ever even shared this, but I didn't actually get my first computer until I was 12. And it was because my sister's job was clearing out all of their old computers 
to make way for these really big, colorful, revolutionary computers called Apple <laughs> Mac. And they were clearing out all their computers. And so I got this computer that didn't even have the internet on it, had these like games on it. You know the games I'm talking about, yeah, right? Like, like the Oregon, Oregon Trail. Trail. Like, that's all I needed, right? That's actually all I needed. So I was ecstatic. Um, but you know, the reason why I share that, and I laugh about it now, right? Uh, but I share that because I, I didn't, I, I know what it's like not to have. And I think that that's really important for people to know that part of my story, because it is a, a major part of my story, a, a part of my story that impacts me today, because I knew that even though, you know, and, and I'm so blessed to have to, to be able to say that there was always food on the table, you know, and I did get a great education, thanks to my parents, uh, you know, working, but also side hustling. And I know you're the queen of the side hustle. And I feel like you and my parents would just vibe like completely. <laughs> I mean, my parents sold um, ceviche. They sold uh, this cheese that they make in Honduras called cuajada. They sold toys. Um, I mean, like, you know, homemade f meals, right, to people that, you know, just w working people around the neighborhood that, you know, wanted something easy. And, and my mom made that. So like, I, I admired and, and still admire my parents grit, and their just their, their determination to always get ahead. And I think that I've used that work ethic to get me to where I am today. You know, that drive of, of knowing that I need to be able to provide for my parents, right? Like, I, I never want them to know what it's like to be without. And so they are a huge part of my why. I always share it, right? Because it's, it's, it's the truth. It's my story. And so, you know, even though my parents didn't teach me about money management growing up because they couldn't, right? Like, they weren't thinking about investing. They were thinking about putting food on the table, that was their concern. Uh, but what they did teach me was how to have an excellent work ethic and also how to look out for your neighbors. And those are, I think, two, two of probably the biggest lessons that they've taught me and, and is absolutely critical for my money story even today. I love that. And I, you know, I tell people this all the time, like Latinos have this innate sense of just like knowing how to make something from nothing. Oh yeah. It's just, I don't know if it's the ancestral like power that we've been given of just like surviving under all circumstances. But I think about my own grandmother, third grade education, put three kids through college with a little store that she set up on the first floor of her house selling cigarettes and liquor in Puerto Rico and in Campo. And I'm just like, yo, I have no choice but to succeed yeah. with that type of lineage. That That's it. That's it. That's it. Like you literally hit the nail on the head. It's that you have no choice but to be great for them. If it's not for you, if it's that you get a little lazy, whatever, we'll do it for them. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love it. I have goosebumps. Yeah. No, me too. Let's keep going. All right. So let's talk about your debt situation. Okay. So you said you were in debt, $215,000. Was that completely law school or was there additional debt that you also had to tackle? So uh, 
the two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars included interest. Uh, so it's the it's the complete number, and from there, one hundred and ninety two thousand dollars was actually from law school. Uh, Ten thousand was from my undergrad, so from college, and I had about twelve or thirteen thousand dollars of credit card debt. So the breakdown is more like ninety percent law school, five percent undergrad, five、uh, percent credit card debt. Okay. And so, what were your spending habits like? Would you say that because you grew up very frugal, that you were kind of a little crazy with the money, or were you still maintaining frugality? And the credit card debt came because of just you know things that you were helping your family with, or something like that. Yeah. So you know, I wouldn't say I've I've always been good at saving money. You know, ever since I was a kid, if I wanted something, I made sure to save for it, and I was very good at that. But Don't get it twisted. I am a spender. That is naturally what I am. Like it takes a lot for me to say, you know, like no, I'm going to invest this money, which is why I have to like automate half of it because otherwise I'm going to get around to it.、Um, but no, so、uh, you know, I've been working since I was 16 years old, and ever since I got my first paycheck, it was really like, well, now I get to buy myself the things that I want to buy. Like now I get to buy myself. You know, nice clothes and nice shoes, and you know, I've always liked looking nice. Like I don't need to, you know, be head to toe designer or anything like that. But I, you know, I, I, I like shopping. Right? It's just something <laughs> that I definitely. It, now it's way different than how it used to be. I mean, I went to school in Stony Brook University, and、uh, my roommate, who's also who's also been my best friend for. I don't even know. Seventeen years, I think, at this point. She is. I mean, she will tell you straight up. She's a shopaholic, and so when you combine that with me, it's a recipe for disaster. And so, out in the suburbs, all people do for fun, really, where you know where we went to school, are like go to the mall on the weekends. And so, the way it really worked was that her and I both had jobs, and we worked, and then we spent the money at the mall. And、yes. so, unfortunately, unfortunately,、um, that did create a little bit of a pattern of well, I'm going to just put it on my card, and I'll pay for it later. And I would think to myself, "Well, I have the money in my account," but then all of a sudden, I needed to spend the money in my account on other things, you know, more important things like food and things like that. And、uh, that quickly accumulated credit card debt. I also would put travel on my credit cards, and、uh, I did this winter study abroad program, which was definitely no studying; it was just all abroad. And、um, you know, I put the entire thing on my card, and that was back when I was. Nineteen, yeah, I was nineteen years old, and so or twenty.、Uh, but the point is that that really did accumulate. And then when I got to law school, I found myself needing to have to put certain things on a credit card just because I couldn't really work. Because when you're in law school, the idea is you want to commit yourself wholly to your studies, and so、uh, that did catch up to me. And、um, You know, but again, old habits die hard, and so my post bar trip after I took the bar exam was, you guessed it, on, on the, the credit, credit card. card.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that trip alone was like four thousand dollars. You know, I spent three weeks in Asia, and、um, 
you know, with uh, with uh, three of my girlfriends. And, you know, that's why when I did graduate law school, and I came back from the bar exam and, and uh, the bar exam trip and everything, I did actually have that as my priority to pay off. And I did pay it off actually within, I think it's like maybe six or seven months after starting my job as, as an attorney, uh, because that was my priority. I was like, oh, heck no, I have to tackle this credit card debt. It's absolutely insane. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, girl, I feel you on all these levels. Like, I think a lot of my spending was triggered by growing up, you know, with a super frugal family. And then I started making decent money out of school because I'm a science major. So I was like an engineer out of school. And you know, it's just like we never learn about what we should be thinking about when it comes to being intentional with your money. It's just like money's meant to be spent. That's the message that I got growing up. And so it was really important for me to show my success, if you will, by just getting things, acquiring things, driving a brand. I bought a brand new car as soon as I graduated from grad school because that's how you celebrate, right? And it's just like, it's dumb as hell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about what actually motivated you or inspired you to make a change in how you handled your finances. And let's talk about your debt payoff journey. Tell me how you did it. Yeah, sure. So, um, all right. So I graduate law school in December 2015. And my loan repayment, uh, my first payment was scheduled for January 2016. And when I got the statement from my uh, student loan provider, uh, back then I had most of my student loans were uh, federal, I'd say, you know, a small portion, I think maybe something like 20,000 was private. And most of them were federal. Um, but the, the point is that combined, I was going to have to pay a $2,000 monthly payment. Oh minimum. Yeah, minimum, minimum payment. And so, you know, obviously that number makes you want to barf. But, um, but I was like, you know what, I can do this. Um, you know, I, full disclosure, I uh, did land a job at, you know, one of the top law firms here in the country, which is uh, what has hugely afforded me the ability to pay off my debt, you know, and so when I saw that number, like, you know, 10 year old Cindy was like, dead on the floor crying <laughs> but but 26 year old Cindy was like okay I can handle this like I, I can do this right and so I, I did and so I set up like an automatic payment you know I kind of I thought I had it together I don't have like an actual budget or anything like that um I had like a I, I called it my budget but girl it was not a budget it was like it was like a, a an excel spreadsheet that I sometimes plugged in like what I spent money on um, and I would plug in like the $3 little expense that I would forget about like the $400 like shopping haul that I just, you know, right. did. It, it was like, I was still very much a mess, even though I was working on paying off my credit card debt. Um, but anyway, so I, I made those monthly payments. And so if you're following me with this math that, that, that we have here, after year one, I had paid $24,000 to my student loans, right? So $2,000 a month times 12 months, uh, $24,000. At the end of the year, you get this statement that based from the IRS that basically says uh, how much you paid, well, from your student loan provider so that you can claim to the IRS that basically says how much interest you paid for that year. 
And when I got that statement, it said that I had, of the $24,000, $20,000 went to the interest and only $4,000 went to the principal. So only $4,000, two months of what I had paid, actually went to the loan that I took out. Yikes. And I was, I was horrified. I, I'm pretty sure I cried. I have to ask my husband, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure I cried to him. And all I kept on thinking was, why? Right? Like, and it was, you know, I, I've shared this story so many times on um, with media. But if I'm being honest with you, the real feeling I felt was, why don't I know how money works? Mm. You know, it was like, why am I, I'm, I have a doctorate degree. Yeah. And I don't understand why this happened. How did this happen? So it was less of a, like, oh, crap, kind of movement. And it was more of like a shame, mm-hmm. you know. It was a moment of shame and it was a moment of, of embarrassment. And I think that, that that was the moment that shifted everything for me. I mean, right after I got that, like, I'm telling you, girl, I think like that weekend, <laughs> I started Googling, how do I get out of debt? You know, what? how, like money 101, right? Like I started Googling things because I was just like, I don't know where else to go to. I don't know who to, who's going to teach me this? No one is talking about this. Literally no one. I mean, not a soul that I was following on social media, a friend of mine, a family member, nobody was talking about how much money they made, how much debt they had, nothing. And so I was just clueless. The only person that I ever spoke to about money really was my husband, you know, back then my boyfriend. And I was just, I was just clueless. I was like, I was in need. I I didn't know it then, but what I actually needed was community. I didn't know it then, but that's what I needed. Um, But I I settled for Google. (laughs) In that moment, I settled for Google because I was like, your girl needs to figure this out. Um, And, and yeah, you know, so I did. And I Googled how I literally Googled, how do I get out of debt? And the first thing that came up was Dave Ramsey. And so for those that may not know, Dave Ramsey is, is, you know, very much big in the personal finance community. And his thing is an emphasis on debt payoff. And so I bought his book and I started listening to like some of his like, uh, you know, YouTube, uh, watching some of his, his YouTube videos. And, and I, I love the message of debt repayment because that's what I needed, right? Like I needed, I needed someone to kind of be like mean, like, <laughs> and, and, uh, like a mean uncle. Obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. I don't think that that is essentially what everyone needs, nor do I think it's the most productive. But at that moment, that is what I needed, right? And so I, I got that, but I needed more. You know, I, I, I needed to hear this message from women and I needed to hear it from women of color. And so I stumbled upon uh, three specific resources, three women that I truly, truly respect, admire, and really care for to this day. Um, one is uh, Bola Sukumbi, who's the founder of Clever Girl Finance. Another one is Janelle Espinal, who's the founder of Miss Be Helpful. And the other one uh, is Jamila Sufran. She's the founder of Journey to Launch. And here I found for the first time in my entire life, 
I found a, a very small group of women that were doing their own things, you know, with either podcasting or um, a, a super great informative blog and like educational platform or YouTube. And they were really the ones to teach me about money. And I think that it's important to, to, to say that and to highlight it because I don't know that the message of personal finance and financial freedom would have resonated as much had I only stuck to hearing white male voices. I totally agree with you. The, uh, the concept of financial independence for me didn't really click until I found Jamila Souffrant's Journey to Launch podcast. Because for the first time, I was like, oh, shit, this is not just for like rich white dudes who are software engineers in Silicon Valley. This is like open to everyone. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's major. Okay. Yep. So let's talk about your actual strategy for your debt payoff. What did that look like? So I figure you realized if I'm going to be making minimum payments, I'm never going to get ahead of this debt. So what did you do? Yeah. So two major things. One is I refinanced my student loans. And so what refinancing is, for those that may not know, is I, I basically took on a private loan with another lender. So I chose SoFi. I uh, refinanced with SoFi. SoFi went ahead and paid off all of my student loans. So they paid off my, I, I, at this point, I was credit card debt free. And so they paid off my private loan and my federal loans. And so I now had a new debt with SoFi. And so the reason why I did that, the reason why I refinanced is because number one, I knew I was going to stay in the private sector. If you're in the public sector, I don't necessarily recommend that you, you know, look to refinancing right away because if you're trying to get like public service loan forgiveness, which a lot of my friends are, you know, a lot of my friends are uh, public defenders or, you know, assistant district attorneys, they work in government, et cetera. Uh, that would automatically disqualify you from pursuing that program. And so I knew I was going to stay in the private sector. And so I was like, well, I'm stuck with this, so I got to pay it. Um, so that was that was one reason. A uh, second reason is by refinancing, uh, it actually slashed my interest rate in half. And so I went from having approximately, you know, seven to 9% interest rates on my loans. A lot of them were actually 9% uh, to down to uh, about like 4.25%, you know, and that, okay, that saved me uh, $40,000 in interest. Wow. So doing that actually, so, you know, everyone here is 215, um, but it actually should have been more like 255 because that is how much interest I was going to be accumulating. And so um, the, the third thing is it actually shortened my time horizon to pay off my loans. So basically it would have brought me down effectively from 10 years, which is like the full repayment plan that I was going to have with you know my traditional loans. It brought me down from 10 years to six years. And my minimum payment did change it actually increased to $3,000. Yes, um, that was my minimum payment. But uh, I, as, as you know, you've shared with your audience, I paid off my debt in four years, not six. Mm -hmm. So what did I do to bring down that timeline even further? I put everything <laughs> to my debt. I mean, bonuses, you know, the, the big firm bonus that we get in <laughs> You know, um, in the either the very, very end or the beginning of the year, that basically all went to my debt. 
tax refunds to my debt, uh, salary increases to my debt, everything went to my debt. And I did have a sense of urgency. You know, I understand that for some people it doesn't, that's not really their situation. It was for me though. I really needed to get out of this debt. And I think the reason why is because I knew that I was the only person that was going to pay off this debt. Mm. And so might as well just get it done. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's twofold. It's refinancing and throwing those additional debt payments that, you know, really helped me get to the finish line. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I can totally relate. I refinanced my student loans with SoFi and I had the same experience. It cut down the payment time uh, dramatically, the interest rate. I don't have enough amazing things to say about SoFi and this is not a sponsor. I I love the concept of um, student loan refinancing because for the longest time that didn't even exist. You were just kind of stuck with it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. I had a great experience with them, you know, really, really good customer service and um, yeah. So honestly, I, I don't have anything bad to say about them. Yeah. It, uh, and it's important that you note that if you want to maintain the benefits of having a federal loan, like what's happening right now with COVID, the interest on federal loans right now is frozen until, what is it, January 31st? If you refinance with a private lender like SoFi, you do not get these government benefits. So it's just something to keep in mind, you know, make sure that you're assessing your personal situation before you decide if refinancing is right for you. So you live in New York City, which I know is damn expensive because I grew up right next door in New Jersey. How the hell do you manage to do this and live in a very high cost of living area too? So... One thing is, you know, especially while I was paying off my debt, I really focused on three things. I focused on my rent, on my food costs and transportation. So first for my rent, right out of law school, I stayed in my student, my law school student life apartment, um, (laughs) which was a studio in Harlem where I was paying $1,100. Thank you very much. And yeah, I mean, look, the temptation was there, right? The temptation to live, to move to a fancier apartment. And I actually had some friends from law school that were like, oh, so Cindy, so where are you going to move to? I'm like, I'm moving anywhere. <laughs> I'm staying in my apartment. My rent is $1,100. Like, are you aware of how much debt we're graduating with? Um, you know, I really needed to focus on making sure that my living costs remained low. And so, you know, of course, I, I stayed in that apartment for about a year after I graduated law school. Um, so my, my housing costs were, were pretty reasonable, especially for uh, New York City. Um, but then after I moved in with my then boyfriend, now husband, and, you know, we moved into a one bedroom uh, where now we were sharing in the rent costs. And so instead of me taking on the full rent, right? For a one bedroom apartment right now, I was upgrading because I went from studio to one bedroom. Uh, you know, my, my, my husband was paying his share as well. And so again, lower rent costs. Um, so, so that's one part. Another part is food. And so, I mean, who doesn't love food, right? Like I've never heard of anyone that says like, Oh no, I don't at all care for eating now or, or, you know, anything like that. No, of course we all do, right? We're human. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and living in New York City, it's extremely expensive, but I adapted a mentality that I actually had uh, developed when I was in law school. You see, 
I went to law school with many, many privileged people. And I didn't really know that that level of privilege existed until I went to law school. You know, I had had my, definitely my instances with people that grew up more upper middle class or, you know, heck middle class. (laughs) And, um, I had had that throughout my life, of course, but law school was really the time where I realized how normal it was for people to talk about their expensive summer camp that they went to as kids, or, uh, you know, they had their own bedroom. I was like, wow, that's crazy. You know, uh, just, there was a lot of things. And so, you know, a lot of my classmates, because they could, you know, they would just go out to eat lunch every day. I mean, look, we went to school in the village, like downtown. Oh my gosh. Like the Mecca of all things, great food. And I didn't have money for that. I just didn't. It was just, it was not even an option. And so I meal prepped, you know, that was my thing. I meal prepped when I was a law student and I was in law school easily from eight in the morning to sometimes nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And so you best believe that I had my little lunch bag where I brought bread. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. Breakfast lunch, dinner, and snacks. And if any of my law school friends are listening, you already know (laughs) because I did not play when it came to that. And so 
I carried that same mentality on just being super frugal, thoughtful, and, and, and committed to meal prepping through my debt-free journey. And sometimes some of my work colleagues would be like, Cindy, do you want to grab some lunch? And I'd be like, oh, I'll go walk with you and come back. But like, I'm going to, I have my lunch here in my in, in the office, you know? And so I just didn't change really my mindset. And that's what a, that's what money really comes down to. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things to do, right? To go from being, for all intents and purposes, poor, right? Not having any source of income to all of a sudden making, my starting salary at the age of 26 was $160,000. I, I didn't, I personally didn't know anyone in my entire life that was making that kind of money, you know, and at the age of 26. And so I went from that to that salary figure. And I was like, no, I'm going to just, I'm going to stick to what I know, you know? And then the third thing that I had mentioned was transportation. Um, I didn't need a car, so I didn't get one. That's it. You know, I just didn't get a car. And with that, I didn't have a car payment. I didn't have car insurance to pay, gas or tolls, a garage, you know, because here in New York City, where the hell are you going to park, right? Um, so those three things really allowed me to live on significantly less than most people, you know, than even your average New Yorker making a very average salary. I lived on very little. And so I basically driving those costs down. And of course, right, because you got to recognize it, my income, you know, that huge gap between the two is basically what I threw to my debt. Do you know the percentage breakdown of what you were spending versus what you were throwing at your debt? You know, I actually did include this in a, a Forbes article that did a piece on me. I actually included the exact percentages. I think that 50% went to debt. Yeah, yeah, that's major. Yeah, I think it was something like 50% of, of my net income was going to my debt. Um, I was still uh, giving. I was still, you know, helping out my parents. I still do, obviously, in a, in a much larger capacity now. But, you know, back then I was still helping my parents and, and, you know, doing things like that. And I was actually also still saving. So I was probably living off of more like 30% maybe of my net income. Um, just because I was, for me, it was like, just pretend you're still poor. <laughs> I mean, it's true, though. Like, once you get in like used to it, it doesn't feel like deprivation anymore because you realize that all of this excess spending that we do oftentimes, it's like, it's not necessary to, to have everything that you need. Like you got your, the roof over your head, you got food, you can get to work on the train. Like you don't need a lot to actually survive. It's just like this illusion of things that we feel like we need to spend money on because society says they're what we should be doing, or it's a expectation of your peers or your social circle. And it's just like, nah, like you really don't need to follow what everybody else is doing, especially when you have such a big goal that you want to achieve. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I love that you touch on the fact that you were exposed to this level of privilege. And I know for me, you know, being a Latina in STEM, like that shit is everywhere too. I'm very often the only woman of color in a room and it can feel kind of intimidating it can kind of feel like imposter syndrome. And I'm wondering like how you've, have you dealt with that at all as a Latina in, in this career? And 
How do you manage that? Oh, always. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, I mean, you know, I think that when I, when I was a first year associate, one of my big struggles, and I have spoken about it too, you know, around law students and such is that I felt like I had major imposter syndrome. I felt like the partners and senior associates were going to find out that I actually didn't know what the hell I was doing and that I did not deserve to be there. And that when they found out that I would get fired and it was a very, it was a crippling feeling that I had, right? Like I just couldn't like I, I actually allowed it to to really take over. I think even my my work, right? Like I would I would second guess myself and and demand perfection because anything less was no good. And I I really did struggle with imposter syndrome as far as my career is concerned. Um, and it wasn't until I started realizing you know, I'm very fortunate that I work at the kind of law firm that I do, which is filled with really positive, encouraging, uh, mentor-like people. And it was because of that, I really think that I started to get out of it. Um, But when I was getting out of those feelings, I was still coming across the feelings of imposter syndrome because of my socioeconomic status. So it wasn't just that as a woman, I had imposter syndrome with my career and everything like that. It was also that I'm very different than a lot of my colleagues. You know, like my summers in New York City were spent with my friends from the block. You know, we would, and by we, I don't mean me, would open the fire hydrant, you know, like play in the in the streets. I mean, like that was, you know, uh, under my mom's supervision, of course, because my mom was extremely strict and did not play that. But I had a very typical New York City kid upbringing. And uh, I had a very typical Bronx kid upbringing because you see a lot of my colleagues and and even law school friends that had a New York City upbringing, um, theirs looked very different than I did, than mine. You know, like my husband says, uh, you know, he grew up on, uh, I think it's 184th and Park Avenue in the Bronx, the other Park Avenue, <laughs> you know, and it, it is, it's a, it's an upbringing that I have pride so much. I have so much pride in and, and, and I love and it's what's made me. Um, but honestly, it's really different than my colleagues. It's very different. It's very different when, uh, you know, I'll use certain slang words that are just part of my vocabulary and me having to really teach myself, you have to cut that out because that is not professional. And realizing now that that, that's part of me, you know, like asking me to cut out certain types of slang or just phrases that I say you know, is, is not true to who I am as a person. And, um, you know, forcing myself to think that I have to dress a certain way or look a certain way or talk a certain way or watch or, or have knowledge about certain movies and music that I just did not grow up with. Right. It is very, very different. And so I, I still do have my times when I struggle with it. You know, I, I think it's something like, the legal industry, I think it's 2% are Latinas Wow! in the entire legal industry. I think the same number is, uh, applies for Black women. 
I think Black women and Latinas combined make up 4% of the entire legal industry. But Latinas in my specific field, in the private sector, in these big firms, I mean, you'd be lucky if you find, you know, two or more of us in any given firm. And I think that that is something that, honestly, I do still struggle with. Mm-hmm. It is hard. It is hard. Um, but but I think that what makes it a little lighter for me personally, at least, is that I do work at a firm that honestly is encouraging, um, aware. And I think that that has helped me also own it. So I think that instead of running away from those aspects of myself, I actually highlight it. Mm-hmm. You know, before you and I jumped on to record, I was telling you that I'm going to, uh, I'm looking into law um, in, in, for a Caribbean country, Spanish speaking. And that is a, a, that is a strength that I have. It's an yeah. asset that I have. It's something that I bring to the table. And I'm honored that I can do that and that I can bring that part of my culture you know, even to where, you know, where I work now. Um, But it is still something that I struggle with and, you know, we navigate it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I see your story and it's just so important that you're, you have now this voice that you can use to create awareness, right? And so um, along those lines, so you're using your Instagram platform to talk about what you didn't learn, which was money, which many of us didn't learn. All the money things. (laughs) So behind the scenes, you know, you are someone who is a first gen woman of color, building wealth, doing things that is not normal for our quote unquote normal for our community. Mm. So what are some of the money struggles that you faced as someone who's really going against the grain? Yeah, well, (laughs) I think one thing is that, you know, even though I have this platform, like you mentioned and everything, I still sometimes feel like I just started late. It's probably a money insecurity that I actually have. I think I have several money insecurities. Girl, we all do. Oh, yeah, we all do. I think people think that we have it all together because it's like, (laughs) you know, but it's like, nah, nah, girl, we don't, you know? Um you know, when I graduated from law school and, and uh, you know, I, I still didn't know much about money. Um, obviously, I, you know, finally was able to enter the workforce. Um, but it wasn't until then I was 27 that I actually picked up my first personal finance book. And so I felt like I was starting to even even remotely learn about money or, or and, and like how to manage my own like a whole four or five years after my peers mm-hmm. you know and so I kind of saw my peers already you know doing certain things with their finances um that I just I just wasn't able to you know and now of course look it's all relative right it's all relative because I I started late because I went to law school you know, and I, I had to, I took on that, that degree, but still, um, and, and there are times where, look, I'm going to be real with you. There are times that I've seen, you know, people in the personal finance community, um, people that are younger than me and that are hitting milestones that I'm not even there yet, you know? And, and sometimes I'm like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I, I should have learned this sooner. And sometimes I get a little hard on myself for that. Um, but I have to snap out of it. I have to snap out of it. 
Girl, that's real talk. That's a real talk. And, uh, you know, it's very easy on social media to feel like that everybody's doing better than you, but you have to think about where you came from. You did not grow up with any kind of financial literacy, and now you're speaking to people about money. I mean, give yourself some damn credit, okay? Because if you don't, I will. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, look, I gotta, I gotta remind myself of it sometimes, though, because it's like you know, the truth is that if we're if we're being honest, right? Like, I I do also think that there is this situation where because we know what it's like to not have, we're scared to ever wind up there again. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's probably also what's that's probably what the root of it actually is, right? It's this this feeling of what if I have to what what if I wind up there again? I know what it's like, you know? And so it, I think that's probably what the root fear is masked with, you know, oh, you know, that person hit this milestone, I'm not there yet, or that person started investing when they were, you know, 21 and I was in the freaking mall with my best friend at 21. I wasn't thinking about any of this shit at 21, let alone even 27, I was still a hot mess. So at least you figured it out before I did. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, why are you so passionate about teaching uh, women of color specifically about personal finance literacy? And how did this inspire you to start your own money coaching business? So I think that, you know, first of all, I believe that women can be amazing investors and and amazing at creating wealth, right? The issue I think is resourcing women, right? Providing the tools, the information uh, that will really educate women because I do believe we are quite smart. I mean, don't we take up more most of like right the college admissions nowadays and stuff like that, right? So we sure do. And we are out earning our partners, y'all. Yeah, and we are, right? We we very much are. I mean, you know, so I think that for me, yes, women generally, of course, very, very important, but specifically important to me has always been reaching women of color because I want to reach women, like I've said, that either look like me, have a life experience like me, that probably just never heard money talk the way that you know that that we that we connect with and when you educate someone it's going to empower them to actually build you know generational wealth and it inspired all of this inspired me first of all the women that most moved me happen to be women of color you know and and that's why I created my platform and I created my coaching business because I wanted to have it be more like you're talking to a girlfriend and less like you're talking to a white guy in a suit at a bank. Yes. Right. And so what I tell my clients is that at the end of our sessions, they're always like, oh my gosh, Cindy, this was amazing. Like I learned so much, et cetera, et cetera. I always tell them, you can't keep this to yourself though. You need to tell your sisters, your girlfriends, your mom, your tias, your friends, tell people, educate them. You don't have to tell them, oh, you need to go to Cindy. No, 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 no. They don't have to come to Cindy. They don't want to. If, they, if it's just not maybe in their budget for the month, that's fine. That's totally fine. 
but spread the message. Start talking to people about money. Start desiring building generational wealth, not just for yourself, but for your community. And so, you know, I tell them, I don't want to be alone on a beautiful, gorgeous island off of the coast of the Dominican Republic with a piña colada in my hand by myself, right? I don't want to be alone. And, and I think a, a part of it is also rooted in this very strong, um, uh, strong feeling that I have for sisterhood. And I think that that's a lot of where, you know, our, our sorority and just what we were taught, like the larger life lessons that went behind, beyond just the college campus and the, you know, all of that was that there is an element of sisterhood that should actually go beyond our sorority. It should go beyond it to want to elevate, uplift women uh, that look like the women that started our sorority, a diverse group of you know women of color that really sought to elevate our voices. And I think that when you combine all of that, I mean, it's that's what gives me energy to do what I do. People ask me like, how the heck are you doing all of this? Like you're a full-time lawyer and you have your own business and you do this and you do that. And it's like, because I, it would be selfish if I kept the information to myself. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Your passion is there. I can hear you light up when you talk about this and it's, it's, it's honestly what keeps me going too, because, you know, just like you, I work full-time. I, make this podcast. I coach people. I do all these things. You do like 15 different things. I don't know. I want to know what you drink in the morning. Okay. please. It's, um, it's a robust combination of like workaholism and a little bit of masochism and also a lot of passion because I really love what I'm doing and I love seeing the impact. That's honestly what keeps anybody going, doing anything, including paying off debt, like you got to know your why. That's why you're doing it. So let's talk about financial self-care. I'm obsessed with this topic and I want to know what it means to you. So I think that financial self-care is really checking in with where you are on this journey, but like really, no, really understanding where you are. So whether that's that well, where I am in this space is my time to really focus on my emergency fund or to invest. But having this self-awareness lends itself to self-care. And really, for me, one of those things that has just always been the uh, huge element of self-care to me has been budgeting. I'm super passionate about budgeting because I feel like it is the foundation for really any financial goal. Mm-hmm. If you want to have an emergency fund, you should put it in your budget. If you want to save for that really expensive trip, put it in your budget. If you want to invest, well, how much money do you are you able to invest? Look at your budget, right? So, like, really, all aspects of you know of of financial literacy, and uh, you know, you want to start your own business. Well, can your budget help you out with that, right? I think that it's it's really the blueprint, and when I sometimes get a little anxious about something, you know, I just really quickly go to my budget and say, okay, does everything look in line? Yeah. Okay. I'm good. You know, so it kind of removes the anxiety a bit. Um, so I think just tuning in to yourself, your goals, 
And, you know, for me personally, being well aware of what my budget is looking like um, is self-care because I think the opposite, right, of just, for example, just spending, Mm -hmm. right? Like not having a money plan at all. I tell my clients all the time, you don't like the word budget because it's not sexy. Don't call it a budget. (laughs) Don't call it a budget. Call it your money plan, you know? Um, Just checking in with my money plan is, uh, you know, something that just makes me feel empowered. Yes. It's the kindest thing you can do because you work damn hard for your money and you should know where it's going. Oh yeah, (laughs) absolutely. We work too hard in the society to not know where the heck our money is going. I know that's right. Okay. So Cindy, what does your life look like now that you have paid off all this debt? Like what are you doing with all this money now? Have you become like a crazy spender again or are you doing something different? (laughs) No, look, I wish I, I wish I was, right? I wish I was telling you that I was like spending all this money traveling, going to all these like, gorgeous places, but like I ain't got nowhere to go. I know. So, right. COVID's been really good for the budget. Oh yeah, like my budget's like, oh girl, you don't have a life anymore. Like you, fun category? What does that? Zero dollars for the month. Zero dollars. No, I mean, you know, post, uh, so I will share um, after I became debt free. So I actually came, became debt free exactly a year ago. It'll, it'll be tomorrow. Wow. So December 8th, 2019, I, um, that was the day I made my final uh, debt payment, which was obviously very memorable yes. and exciting. Um, and so I did have some things on my list that I did want to splurge on. Um, and so I did a little bit of splurging on, on, on a few things after I became debt-free. Um, so I bought myself a Chanel bag. Hey. I bought myself, um, and, and I will note, I bought it secondhand because it's better for the environment. It's better for your pocket, all the good things. Love it. Um, so I, I bought myself a Chanel bag. I bought myself a, a Dyson. <laughs> oh, okay. Super expensive vacuum. That's uh, interesting. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I think that I think maybe I bought like one other thing. I don't remember. Um, but those were like that kind of like got it out of my system of just a couple things that I wanted to buy. Um, but no, you know, starting in January of 2020, I just set out to uh, really increase my my emergency funds a lot more mm-hmm. um, and start directing more money to my investments. Um, you know, I, I just maxed out my 401k for the year, Congrats. you know, so I'm really, really excited about that. Thank you. You know, so it was honestly like I I increased some budget categories and not by a lot. You know, like my dining out budget, I increased it from two hundred dollars, you know, during my debt free journey to three fifty. Um, my groceries budget, I increased it by fifty bucks. You know, my cabs budget, I think I increased it by like seventy five dollars. Personal budget by like maybe fifty or something like that. So. All in all, you know, I probably gave myself like maybe a $500 a month increase, maybe. Um, but to be honest, everything else just went to wealth building. Yeah. You know, saving and or investing. Um, I did also increase my uh, giving uh, category. You know, when I was on my debt-free journey, I gave traditionally about something like 7 8% of my income. And now I'm more like, 12, 13% of my income. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I wish it was, I wish there was something more exciting to say, right. But it's, it's really, now it's just more of, 
I do want to reach financial independence. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my big goal is to be a millionaire by the time I'm 40. And I do think that I can reach that. I do think it's very realistic. And and that's just, that's just my numbers, right? It's not, I recently got married. It's not taking into account, you know, my husband's numbers at all. But I, uh, even though we definitely, you know, like what's mine is his, his is mine, the whole thing, right? Um, But I would like to reach that goal by the time I'm 40. And in order to do that, well, then I just need to be, I just need to continue being smart about my money and investing. Uh, I'm not like, I'm not an exciting investor. You know, people say like, oh, I'm investing in like the hottest tech stock. You mean you're not putting all your money in Tesla? (laughs) Listen, I read enough like financial statements and security disclosure documents for my job. I don't want to do that for fun. Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) So yeah, honestly, just investing more, saving more, uh, and just trying to hit financial independence, you know, Um, that might change, of course, right? Like, I don't know what the heck my 30s bring for me. Uh, But but I I do have a goal. And I, I think it's always important to have some type of goal, you know, to, to aim for it's, uh, you know, I, I'm not like trying to leave the legal industry anytime soon or anything like that. I do really enjoy my job. I, I like the career that I chose. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to, uh, I think a big mistake that many in the professions like, you know, uh, doctors, lawyers and, and whatnot, uh, a big mistake that we make is that we spend everything that we make, you know, and, and we don't actually build wealth, like real wealth. And I don't want to be like, uh, like, you know, one of those people that, that make that mistake. So just being smart about my money. No, I hear that. And I love that. It's so important, right? Because a lot of people have this misconception that they only have to make a certain amount of money and then they'll be well off. And it's like, nah, it's absolutely not the case. Like I know millionaires who don't have any money to their name because all of it is just spent on this and that and whatever. So it's not about how much you make, guys. It's about what you're doing with what you do make. Yes, that's it. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I think one other thing that you touched on that was really important is this concept of like, there always has to be a goal. It's not just enough to become debt free. You're not building wealth just because you don't have any debt. What are you doing to grow your money, to make it beat inflation, to leave something to your kids or your niece or your parents or whatever? Like that's when the real change happens. It's not just enough for you to think about yourself. It's about 
what are you doing to change the lineage and the direction of your entire future generations? Like it's, that's some heavy shit to think about, but it's also super motivating for me. How about you? Yeah, no, it's look, it fires me up, right? It fires me up at the hope that, you know, and the, when I look at my nephew, for example, I think to myself, like my nephew has a larger net worth <laughs> than I had at the age of like 29. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like, that's amazing. You know, that's amazing. You know, he was two months old and I told my sister, give me his social security number so I could open up the 529 plan for him to start investing in his college. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, it fires me up. Just the thought that he could, you know, uh, have a big part of college paid for him. Now, in my ideal world, my my nephew's like a super genius, gets like a full ride, right? And and then you know the the the, the money in his in his college investment account, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. Then I feel like poli like who knows what the policies will be like, you know, sixteen years from now or whatever. I guess four, 14 years from now. Yeah, he's four. Um, but it's, it's empowering, you know, and I think about that and it, it makes me, it makes me happy. It encourages me, you know, um, being able to do little things for my parents makes me happy being able to help my family in both Ecuador and Honduras, uh, really makes me happy too. It brings a sense of joy and, and comfort, you know, um, this abundance mindset. Yes, I think is really it, you know, this, this mindset of like, it's not just for me, 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 I need to hoard it. It's more of like, wow, look at all, look at all that I can do now. Right. And it's not, and it goes beyond just giving and like, you know, giving your money, giving your financial resources. It's also like giving and knowledge, right? Like being able to talk to my girlfriends, my, my sorority, my chapter sisters, my line sisters, you know, from, from, from college and being able to talk to them about money, having them text me saying like, Hey, Cindy, like I just opened up my, you know, 401k and like, you know, like that, that's why I started all of this, Yes, you know, to create these conversations in our community so that people could become more excited and uh, encouraged about the future, no matter how much necessarily they make, right? Or what field they're in or whatever it may be. It's just a no, you know, we, we can accomplish this. Um, everyone is going to accomplish it in a different way on their own timing, uh, but it can happen. It's really just going to come down to, you know, having these conversations, making it a part of your everyday life. You know, I think that your audience is pretty spot on with, you know, listening to your podcast, right? Like that's a great resource that, that, that someone has there that they can go to. It's like, yeah, let me just listen. Listen to these honest conversations between, you know, two women that are actually friends, yeah. you know, actually <laughs> sisters. Like it's it's just that's how I think that's how we really make movement yeah. in our community. Absolutely. So speaking of mindset, what is your money mantra? Ah yes. So my money mantra is always keep your why in mind. 
no matter what. I think you made it very clear why you're doing what you're doing. And I'm so grateful to you for being here. This has been an amazing conversation. And for folks that want to find out more about you and follow your journey, where can we find you? Yeah, so you can follow me at Instagram. It's where I'm most active, um, at Zero Based Budget. Uh, or you can uh, check out my website, zero-basedbudget.com. Cindy, this has been the highest honor of my life, having you here oh, on this no, podcast. Thank you. We have been trying to make this happen for months, and y'all already know we're both doing a lot of stuff. So just having an hour to sit with you and appreciate your journey and sharing your knowledge. It's just, it's invaluable. And I'm so grateful to you for being in this space. Thank you so much for being here and good luck with, you know, your future goals. I know you're going to kill all of them. I can't wait to continue to follow your journey. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope this episode leaves you feeling super inspired and super motivated to meet your challenges head on. Cindy's story is a favorite of mine because it really just speaks to the power of having a goal and a solid plan and the discipline that it takes to achieve something this monumental. Every success that we have in life is a result of small deliberate steps that we take towards our goals. And Cindy's story is no exception to that. So if you have set some big goals for yourself in 2021, whether it's to pay off debt, start investing, pursue financial independence, start a business, or all of the above, I'm here to tell you that you can achieve it all and more. But the most important thing is that you decide that today is the day that you start pursuing your biggest dreams. Remember, if your goals don't scare the shit out of you, you're not dreaming big enough. As a reminder, if you love the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and don't want the experience to end here, visit our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you'll find free personal finance articles, tips, our favorite money tools, information about our upcoming events, and more. You can join us on social at Yo Quiero Dinero Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. And if you want even more community join our mailing list. Just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com and sign up for our free newsletter where you'll get exclusive discounted offers to our live events, notifications of new blog posts and podcast episodes, and my best personal finance tips delivered straight to your inbox. Until next time, stay motivated, stay inspired, stay empowered, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.